Praise the Lord. Good morning. And uh, we are ready to get started. Uh, what an awesome time of worship, as I was saying earlier, and uh, we were singing some uh, songs and just things that have been on my heart. Um, you know, one of those songs we were singing this morning together was Love Has a Name, uh, and His name is Jesus. We were singing about asking God to hear our cry, to, to heal our land, and uh, we desperately need God to heal our land. He need, we need God to revive the church us, you, God is going to move through his people and uh, we just got to get out the way, yield and obey. And so I pray that uh, we would surrender our lives to him. This morning we're going to go back to the book of John. We've been in here for several months. Uh, it's been an awesome time together uh, just going through John's uh, gospel and seeing how Jesus has been revealing himself uh, through the scriptures as he's been revealing himself to the people that were in his time and to us as we're reading along as we've been going on this journey together. And here Jesus is, is tested. He is being tested. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at that today in John chapter eight is where we're at. And we're going to be in verses one through 12 or one through 11. Excuse me. This is going to be our main place today. And um Today we're going to be reading an account where the Pharisees try to test Jesus publicly. So, you know, this is a moment where Jesus is at the temple. You guys, we've been reading that. He, he's been in Jerusalem. Uh, he was just there for the Festival of Tabernacles. We've been in that and we went into all what that means. Uh, and now it's the next day and he gets up early in the morning and he is now going to the temple again to teach. And in this moment... The Pharisees use this opportunity to try to test him publicly in front of everybody. Uh, and the purpose was not to ascertain his quality, but to test Jesus maliciously to prove him to be a false teacher. Their goal wasn't so that, hey, if Jesus uh, with this test, if it shows to be that he's wise and, and he could be the Messiah. No, they didn't want him. They didn't want him at all. They hated Jesus. They had a plot to kill him. If we remember, this was they weren't trying to to hear from the Lord. They didn't want to hear him because they didn't believe in him. And uh, so to do so, the Pharisees use a shameful act any persons can commit. Uh, that shameful act was adultery. Adultery, an act of adultery was, had happened and they brought this woman before Jesus and they uh, publicly in front of everybody in the temple right there where this group was. And unfortunately, you know, we, we in today... Unfortunately for us in our generation, adultery has become uh, commonplace. And, and truly, that is not the case. That should never be the case. It should not be common. Adultery is truly a shameful act that someone could commit. Um, and uh, it truly is heartbreaking for families, for, for uh, marriages. And it should not be something that should be commonplace. It should be something that uh, is rare. But it does happen, and in our generation, this has become more of a, a thing that just happens. It's part of a constant thing going on. And it's not everybody, but there's a good percentage of people that have no problem with adultery and are doing it. And so it truly is a, a shameful act. And so here's an opportunity to see that Jesus agree with the Word of God, that He agree with the law of God. They were bringing Him, this woman, and we're going to read this together. I want to pray before we get started, and I pray that God would open our ears to hear and our, our eyes to see. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together to be up this morning with life in our bodies, with, the, with our faculties, with the, the ability to reason, to think, and to listen. Lord, I pray that there, every distraction will be out of our minds, that we would focus on you, that we would look to you, we would look to your word this morning, that we would allow the Spirit of God to minister to us, to open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, in this moment, we need you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to have your way. I pray, Father, that as someone is listening to this uh, message, watching this message right here in this room, I pray that the power and presence and conviction of the Holy Spirit will come upon them and that they might see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. To that brother or sister, Lord, who's not where they need to be with you, that this message would bring them closer to you, would revive their hearts again, that they would repent, that times of refreshing would come from the Lord. God, we ask you to have your way. Lord, speak through me, Lord God. You make me competent to bring this message, Lord. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, take some uh, time here to read. It says here, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, stooped, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Wow, what a powerful moment here as we are in chapter 8. We see Jesus now in a, in, a, in, a, in a situation where they're trying to test whether he is going to, how he is going to respond, what is he going to do with this situation. Was he going to be seen by them as a lawbreaker, as a false prophet, because of what he will, how he would respond. Again, this was malicious. This was not an intent to understand Christ. It was not a situation to be able to know, hey, is truly Jesus the Messiah? Is he really the one that we should be following? Is he the one that we should be seeking after? No, that wasn't what this was about. This was about trying to trap Jesus and, 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 and make him look bad. But you know what? Jesus is God in the flesh. You're not going to fool God. And you're not going to, there's no human scheme that's going to uh, uh, knock God off of his track and what he's supposed to be doing and what he's going to do. And so one thing I like about this, if you notice in the very first uh, verse, is that Jesus was teaching at first light. There's something about first light. There's something about 
the dawn, getting up early and being in the presence of God and going into the presence of God. I know there are people that are around here, maybe you might be that way. Oh, I like to be in the presence of God at night. And that's all good. We should, be, we should do it whenever. But truly, I want to tell you in the morning, this was one of the things that Jesus practiced himself. He didn't just practice going away at night and praying, but he practiced getting up early to, to, to be in, in, in prayer. Um, <clears throat> I love this because the psalmist writes in Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. I mean, what a powerful point there. And as I was telling you, Jesus, this was what he used to do. Look at what Jesus, uh, Mark 1, 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I want to encourage you as Christians, as believers, if you, if you name the name of Jesus, to get up early and be in the presence of the Lord. Spend time with Jesus. Pray. Read the Word of God. Let the Word of God come into the windows of your soul to prepare your mind for action, to prepare you for the day, to be connected with Him, to be, get, to be in that moment. I mean, what a precious thing we have as believers that we can call the Creator of heaven and earth. We get to call Him Abba, Father. We get to call Him Father. That is in the prayer, our Lord's Prayer. Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, we're to wake up and we're to declare uh, who He is to us. He is our Heavenly Father. And we're to pray to Him. We're to come, be in His presence early. Get up and, and, and uh, spend time with Him. He said, well, Pastor, I don't... Well, you know what? Then go to bed a little bit earlier. Or if you were up praying at night, you're still going to... When you wake up, that's your morning, and get in the presence of God and spend time with Him. And let God sit at His feet, man, and just let the Lord speak to your heart. Let Him uh, uh, begin to order your steps for the day and your thoughts so Jesus is, enters this temple, which is one of the most public places a person could be. Even though there was a plot to kill him, he continued to teach the people in the temple. Remember uh, that they thought he had a demon in him because he said, hey, you guys are trying to kill me because of the miracles I've done. Remember this? This is what Jesus was saying. So Jesus knew that the Pharisees wanted him dead. Remember a few verses back in, in John chapter 7, they had sent the, the temple guards to go arrest him, the the church police were going to arrest him. They were going to put Jesus in jail, but they couldn't. They were like, we've never heard anybody talk like this. This man is not just any ordinary person. I mean, what he is saying is profound. And the Pharisees were so upset that, hey, you got deceived too? What is going on here? But ultimately, it was not his time. And remember, we talked about this. It was not his time, so they couldn't take him. They couldn't do nothing because it wasn't his time yet. And, and this is important to understand. And this, this, this tells me that we should not be deterred from our mission, even though there may be plots to harm us. We must follow his example. In other words, even though there, you know that there may be a situation you're going to share the gospel with somebody, they may just not want to hear from you. They may even uh, mistreat you for whatever reason. Don't be deterred and bring the word of God to someone out of love for them, out of love and care for your neighbor. Secondly, the Pharisees set up a test for Jesus. So here he is. He's in this moment. He's in the temple. It's early in the morning. It's at dawn and everybody's coming in and he's got a group around him and he's teaching 
people publicly. And the Pharisees bring a woman who was caught in adultery. It was a humiliating position for her to be brought out publicly like this in the temple. I mean, can you imagine your sin being brought right in? And you with the sin right in front of everybody. Here's what, here's what she did. And what do you say about it, Jesus? So here's the test. Everything is there. And now they think they got Jesus cornered and he's going to mess up or something's going to happen. But no, this was a, a moment to, to cause there to be humiliation for Christ and for this woman. And here you can see the hardening of their hearts. You can see they could have they held her in custody to be judged and ask Jesus about how he should proceed. In other words, they didn't have to bring her out like that right in the public and do something towards her. They could have talked about, okay, how should we go about dealing with this woman according to the law? What does it say? And they could have had their debate on that and, and how, how to proceed. But no, they wanted to publicly embarrass Christ and this woman. And God did something amazing. <laughs> Because you need to understand, adultery is, is in no way is something to be taken lightly or ignored. Okay, this is not something that, adultery is not something that we should be, oh, this is no big deal. No, it is a huge deal. But we must remember mercy in our dealings with individuals who have committed this sin. We must remember the mercy of God. We must remember what God, the heart of God. Let me, let me tell you what... Uh, Adultery defined today has really truly been watered down. This is important because I want to read you uh, adultery defined by the Merriam-Webster. Uh, you know, they're on their website. You can Google Merriam-Webster and they'll pull up their, their dictionary. And, and then I'm going to read to you uh, it defined by Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. And I want, to, I want you to see the difference in the tone concerning adultery in the actual definition. Look at the first one. Let's, let's start with Merriam-Webster's for today because that's where we live in, right? It says, Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and someone other than that person's current spouse or partner. That's Merriam-Webster. And let me read you Noah Webster's definition. Violation of the marriage bed, a crime or a civil injury, which introduces or may introduce into a family a spurious offspring. Whoa. Let me ask you a question. Do, 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 do one of those seem, one of those definitions seem a lot stronger than the other in its tone? The word violation is set up voluntary. <laughs> I, I voluntary. Yeah, of course it's voluntary. You do it on your own will. You're not forced to commit adultery here, okay? But wow, this is unreal. I mean, the the tone and how this is defined almost makes it seem like, oh, it's not no big deal. It's not, you know, it's just voluntary sexual intercourse with between a person that's married, you know, well, no big deal with someone else that's not in their marriage. Yet Noah Webster defines it with a term violation of the marriage bed, a crime or a civil injury. I mean, those are harsh to us because we've watered down everything, but that's just real. That's truth. That's exactly what it is. It's a violation of the marriage bed, of the, the covenant that a man and a woman make together 
to be with each other, to be uh, with one another, not to be with anyone else, but to commit themselves to one another till death do them part. This is a, a when a person, when a man or a woman commits adultery, they violate that covenant. They violate that promise they made before God and those people that were there at their wedding. This is a huge deal and it is it isn't to be ignored. It isn't to be taken lightly. It has to it, it brings about so many consequences. Um, it, it is destructive in its nature. And God, uh, who, who, who doesn't take this lightly, do you know this is one of the commandments? This is one of, meaning God says you shall not commit adultery. This is huge. Because adultery is a total betrayal of the marriage covenant. It is a serious matter to God. This is why the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus. They were like, hey, we want to see what he's going to say because we're going to catch him right now. We're going to, we're going to test him to maliciously see what he's going to say so that we can say, see, we told you this man is false. He doesn't believe in the law. And that their whole point was to try to bring uh, uh, this, to, to try to do it. Let me show you what the law states again. This is the heart of God. You should not commit adultery, period. God does not want men and women to commit adultery. He does not. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse that you marry. He doesn't want you to cheat on them. If that's the word you want to use, it is adultery. He does not want it. There is consequences that come as a result. And in the Jewish law, there was, there was a punishment for committing adultery. Uh, look what it says here in um, Leviticus. It says, uh, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both adulterer and adulteress are to be put to death. You see, they were right in what they were saying. Hey, the law prescribes that this person, they should stone this person to death. What do you say, Jesus? And so they were, they were right by the law, by the standards of God's law. She violated the law of God. She violated her marriage covenant. The man also, you know, in this, in this thing, I mean, he, we notice here that they didn't bring the guy because there's, to me, this leads me to think there was a setup here. Okay, they set up this woman in order to bring about this. I wouldn't put it past the Pharisee. I'm just reading into this, please. This, don't take this as gospel. This is just my, my reading into that. Okay, don't take it as gospel. But it just leads me to think that way, that they could have set this up. I wouldn't put anything past the Pharisees because they were concerned about their reputation. They were concerned about that Jesus was drawing big crowds and people were following him. Remember, they were the teachers of the law. They were the ones teaching the people. They were the ones trying to help them understand and all this. Look at what Numbers says about now how to go about actually investigating if someone is in adultery because see a lot of times people that are ungodly they'll come up and they'll say oh you see man if you committed adultery they want you to stone somebody kill them well whoa whoa hold hold your horses here you couldn't just say hey uh just because you saw joe going to a, a house where there was a one another woman they were in there you unless you saw the act being committed you couldn't just say they were committing adultery because you did not witness the act um, and look, no, Numbers 5, 11 through 13 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him, so that another man has sexual relations with her, and this is hidden from her husband and her impurity is undetected, 
since there is no witness against her and she has not been caught in the act. Okay? She has to be or he has to be caught in the act in order for you to bring about the accusation or the person just confesses, hey, I did, I committed adultery against my spouse with this person. Okay? So, this does happen. So, God's heart isn't, okay, just go and kill him. No, 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 no. You, there, there needed to be order here. There needed to be an investigation. There needed, to be an, uh, there needed to be witnesses about the situation who saw them committing the actual act. If there was no witness, you could not put that person to death. You wouldn't know. Okay? Unless the persons confessed to their sin. And now... Thirdly, let's go to Jesus' response to this test. How did he respond to this? You know, okay, we know what the law says. We, I've given you some insight into what the law of God declares. Don't commit adultery, and anybody who does so is to be uh, put to death, right? And you had to have witnesses to do this. Well, what did they say? In verse 3, the teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So in other words, they had people who witnessed the act. So this is not a hearsay. No, there was witnesses to her doing this act with another man, a married man, or she could be married too. Who knows? We don't know this. But this is what happened. Jesus, and, and you know what Jesus does? He stoops down and starts to write on the ground. Who knows what he was writing? And, you know, there's no proof text for, for saying he was writing anything about the matter. I mean, people have a lot of uh, just ideas. Oh, he could have been writing their sins out before them. I mean, hold up. We don't even know what he was writing. It doesn't tell us. We don't have any, anything to, to make that statement. You can assume whatever you want, but it's just your opinion. But it's not. The scripture does not say that. But. There are people that believe that, and I guess whatever, if that's what you want to believe, but it's not necessarily something you need to uh, uh, say, oh, well, that's exactly no, because they have nowhere to tell you that that's exactly what he was doing. No, he was stooped down, and he started to write. And, um, but this annoyed the Pharisees. They were, like, really not happy with this because they kept on questioning him. And you know what? Jesus just says, you know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to answer you. And he it says, Jesus gets up, and he says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Man. Can you, can you imagine the crowd? Can you imagine those men with the stones, boulders in their hands, about ready to launch it at this woman to kill her? When he said, let the first one, let, the, let, let, let one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. Well, guess what, y'all? Nobody is without sin. No one, you, me, no one is without sin. The Bible says that there is no one that is good. No, not one. Not one. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, they, they, those men, they were like, they have these boulders and they're ready. They're so, 
zealous about righteousness, right? And, and we're going to destroy what the sin in the, in the camp. And, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus said, well, if, if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw it. Be the first to do it. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they started to drop these boulders, these stones. Why? Because there was no one there who was without sin except Christ. <laughs> well, this is powerful in itself. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who never sinned, could have killed her because he was without sin, right? What does he do? He does something different. <laughs> this comes off to me, him, and then he goes back down and he starts writing again after he says that on the ground. Uh, this comes off to me as if Jesus was not concerned about their little test because he, he being God, knew exactly how to respond to, the, to foolish men. He knew what he was going to say, and he knew how he was going to deal with people who were ignorant and did not know the heart of God. Why? Jesus came to demonstrate the love of God, the very life, the very, he's the exact representation of God on the earth. His response caught the heart, cut to the heart of those men, and they dropped those stones. Jesus reminds us that mercy triumphs over judgment. That though he had a right, they had a right to stone her for her sin. She deserved to be judged for what she did for the act of adultery. But Jesus demonstrated mercy and kindness. You know, we were watching as a family and for Bible study on Wednesday night, we, uh, we were watching a, 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 a Jonah done by a, a Christian ministry called Sight and Sounds. I recommend for you to check them out. They have a they have a website that you can, um, you can go see it live or you can um, watch it on your home by streaming it. Some powerful uh, Broadway-type style plays that are powerful. And uh, so we watched uh, Jonah. And I was reminded, and it's interesting, we watched Jonah and it brings us to John 8 and we see the very heart of God. Jonah knew, <laughs> the prophet Jonah knew the heart of God very well. That's why he ran away. Look what it says here in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Watch what it says. Oh, excuse me here. He says, but to, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Well, what was it that seemed very wrong? Uh, so a, a brief synopsis a, a real quick here about what was going on. God told Jonah to cry out against the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was a wicked place. The, uh, Nineveh was constantly harassing the nations around them and killing people and pillaging them and taking all the spoils. And they were also enemies of the Israelites and they would do harm to them. And Jonah, knowing they were enemies of God, they were enemies of his own people. And you want me to go over there and preach this message that you're going to destroy them? Look into the inside of why Jonah ran or went the opposite way. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. Can you imagine being angry about people not being destroyed? He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to for forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Man, I mean, Jonah knew that when he would declare that message, 
that God was going to destroy the Ninevite city and the people in it, that the people's hearts will be cut, they would, they would uh, repent and, and, and fasting and, and, and sackcloth and ashes, whatever they could do to ask God to have mercy on them and that God would relent because they humbled themselves, because they repented of their sin. And God, who is rich in mercy, who is compassionate, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. And we see this in how Jesus responds to the Pharisees, how He deals with their ignorant hearts and He reminds them that, uh, uh, that, that mercy triumphs over judgment and, he, and, he, and, he, and their heart is so hardened. Uh, and, and I want to tell you, do not let your heart get hardened. I'm telling you, I have to fight this every day in my life not to allow my heart to be hardened because of the increase of wickedness around me. You might see the wickedness of people you might have experienced in your family, adultery. You might have experienced in your ministry, adultery. You might have experienced all kinds of things that are evil and, and hurtful. But do not allow your heart to be hardened. Remember that, tri that mercy triumphs over judgment. That we are to have the heart of God. That we are to be people who manifest Christ to this world. That we're to live a life that glorifies Him. <laughs> or, do you, or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That's Romans 2.4. Are we showing contempt? As believers, when we see maybe, you, maybe someone's hurt you, maybe someone was racist towards you, maybe someone was a certain way towards you, has your heart hardened? Or do, you, do, you, do you not see? Are you contempt? Do you have to show contempt for the riches of His kindness towards people who, are, <laughs> who don't deserve it? Because I didn't deserve it. You don't deserve it. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's good news. It is good news because it is different from the news that we have in this world. It is the world is corrupt and decaying and it is full of death and disease and sickness and all kinds of evil. But the message of the gospel is good news, is hope for the world. Jesus is showing and revealing His glory here. He is saying, hey, where are those who accuse you? Where are they? Where are those who are condemning you? Nowhere, sir. And He says to her, neither do I condemn you. And Jesus restores the woman with a command. You see, here's the test. God shows mercy to the wicked. You and I were wicked. The Bible says, For God demonstrated His love in this. While we were yet sinners, put your name in there, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you, the ungodly. Jesus died before you could get right. Jesus paid the price before you. He was, he's the God who sees and provides. He knows that we need provision. He knows that without Him we would be perished in our sins. And God sent His Son that he might destroy the devil and all his works. And the Bible is clear here that Jesus did not take the act of adultery lightly because of this command. He says to her, if they're not around you, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say, hey, go, and it's no big deal. No, he said, go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Break up with the devil. Break up with your sin in your life and turn to the Lord and walk with him. And live a life to glorify Him from this point on. 
It doesn't matter what sin you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is still offering you forgiveness today? That's the question. He demonstrated his glory to you. He demonstrated his life to you and to me. And I want to pray as we get ready to end. And I want to ask you, you might be in here, you might be watching. Do you hear the voice of the Spirit calling you? Do you hear God speaking to your heart saying, repent and turn to me. Put your faith in me. I need you, Jesus. I've sinned greatly. And I want to receive the mercy you gave this woman. I want to receive the grace that you showed this woman. He wants to do that for you. I want to pray for my brother or sister. Are you hardened like the Pharisee because of the wickedness in this world? Are you seeing people a certain way? The Bible says repent. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Ask God to give you his heart. Ask God to give you his heart. The Bible says God does not delight in the death of the wicked. God's desire that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. That should be our mission as we engage with lost people, as we engage with people. Our life ought to be demonstrating the very mercy, kindness of God, the the compassion of God. Now, again, that doesn't mean that God isn't righteous and he's not going to judge sin. Let me tell you, friend, you know, Jesus said, just like in the days of Noah, it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. People are going to be marrying and giving themselves off to marriage and partying, having a great old time. And there's going to come a day when judgment is going to come. And this is why Jesus came. The Bible says in John 3, 16 through 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says that God sent His Son, not to, uh, He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. But if you reject the Son, you stand condemned already. Judgment will be awaiting you. If you say, ah, forget God, I don't care, I don't want to deal with this. God, when the day comes and you're all right, you're having a good old time in the party and the drugs and all of these things that you're doing and running after. And when the door closes, remember that door closes, that ark, and the rain fell and judgment came upon the earth and people died. That day is going to come when grace will close. And you'll have to stand before God. But God, who is rich and abundant in mercy, is offering you an opportunity today. Today is a day of salvation. Not tomorrow. Today. Not tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have the next minute. But today is a day of salvation. Turn to him. Christian, there are people who need to hear from you who need to hear the gospel. There are people that you are influenced. There are people you work with. There are people you are you have friends. There are people that need to hear the message, the good news through your life and through your words. Pray with me. Lord, this morning I just ask you to open and unlock people. Help them to see. Draw them to your son, Lord. You said if you be lifted up, you would draw men unto yourself. Today, someone right here in this room, Lord, if they would just humble themselves and call on your name, and they would just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, you'll save them. Lord, you, 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 you want to do this, Lord.
You don't want them to perish. You want them to have eternal life with you. You want them to have hope for the future. A future with you, God. A future of, et of eternal joy. Being in your presence forever. Knowing you and, and glorifying you for all eternity. Where all uh, death will be destroyed. It will be swallowed up in victory. There will be no more sickness, no more disease. You will wipe away every tear from our eyes, Lord. That's what you promise. And so, Lord, I pray for that person today who's watching, listening, here in this room. Or God, touch their hearts. I pray for my brother and sister today, Lord, who have been convicted, Lord, that they have not had a heart of mercy. Lord, they have been just in the wrong. They have been ignorant. They have been wrong in their way of dealing with people. God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would restore, give them your heart, oh God. Shed your love abroad in their hearts again, Lord. God, cause them to be instruments in your hand to glorify you, Father, to bring good news to those around them, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as we do that, as, you, as we obey you, as we live a life that manifests Jesus to this world, that you would be glorified and that we would be found faithful servants, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.